posting a job on Upwork, getting 50 people to apply, interviewing them one by one. Took forever. You find someone. If they're not good, you start that process all over again. And I just wanted something better and faster. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mick Kraszowski, and welcome to episode 37 of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Nathan Hirsch, the founder of FreeUp.com. FreeUp is a premier marketplace for freelancers that only accepts the top 1% of professionals online. You can think of it kind of like Upwork, but on steroids. Nathan and his partner built FreeUp from scratch with just $5,000, and today, just five years later, it is an eight-figure company. The funny thing about this interview was that from the time that Nathan and I booked our time to chat to when we actually sat down to record the interview, Nathan achieved another huge milestone, selling FreeUp. So in this interview, you will hear Nathan discuss his entire journey, what made him and his partner start FreeUp in the first place, how they built their platform with zero tech background, how they scaled the business to eight figures so quick, so quickly with little to no advertising, and what it was like selling the business and his mindset after everything was signed and done. Nathan and I also discussed what makes a great freelancer that charges what they're worth and are always booked out. So if you're someone who identifies as a freelancer, this is one you're not going to want to miss. You can find the full show notes and all the resources mentioned during the interview at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 37. That's episode all spelled out, followed by the number 37. And don't forget to head over to your to whatever your favorite podcast listening app is and leave an honest review. All right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this episode with Nathan Hirsch. All right. Well, Nathan, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for yeah. being here. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Happy Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It is Friday. That's always a good thing. But I'm super pumped to have you on here. And it's actually we were talking about before we hit record. Uh, we actually scheduled to do this interview. And then you had a pretty big thing happen in your business, which was that you actually sold it. Uh, so congr- congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a it's been a pretty crazy few months. It's funny. So the beginning of the year, it started with me proposing to to my fiance, but that was the whole thing. It was Mother's Day, and it took four months, three months, whatever, to plan. I had to fly all these people in secretly. It was like this big secret. I couldn't tell her, and I was so worried for months it was going to get out. And then the end of the year kind of ended the same way, going through this sale, trying to keep that a secret so that doesn't get out, and and then all, and all the planning and stuff that we'll talk about. So it kind of started and ended in the same way. Yeah, so 2019 was a busy year for you, man. <laughs> a lot of stuff happened. 2020 is just going to be a bit more relaxing, you know, nothing too huge. <laughs> we'll see. I don't think I'm a sit on the beach and do nothing kind of guy. So hopefully we'll, we'll launch this virtual assistant course and, and I'm sure I'll get into some other stuff. Yeah. Well, so what I'd love to talk about first is obviously like let's talk about free up the company that you sold and how it got started. So where did the idea for free up come from initially? 
Yeah, so I was a big Amazon seller. I'm 30 now. When I was 20, I got into Amazon at a good time. That was around like 2008, 2009. And I scaled that business using virtual assistants and freelancers. I was pretty young. It was tough to hire college kids. They were smoking weed and drinking on the job and not very responsible. And the 30-year-olds and the real adults in the world didn't want to work for me as a young entrepreneur that didn't know what he was doing. So I kind of turned to that remote world based out of necessity. And Got pretty good at it. Hired some really good people. Chicky Ann has worked with me for eight plus years. So I've had people for a long time, but I just hated the process of posting a job on Upwork, getting 50 people to apply, interviewing them one by one. Took forever. You find someone. If they're not good, you start that process all over again. And I just wanted something better and faster. So I had the idea to build my own platform and I took the Rolodex of freelancers that I built for my Amazon business, moved it to, to free up and started offering it to different sellers. So the value proposition was and is that we get thousands of applicants every week, virtual assistants, freelancers, agencies from all over the world. We vet them for you. Only the top 1% get on the platform. We make them available to clients quickly whenever they need them. On the back end, 24-7 support in case people have even the smallest issue and a no turnover guarantee. If someone quits, we cover replacement costs and get them a new person right away because those were the four pain points that I had using the other platforms that I had to go through applicants that weren't qualified. It took forever to get an actual person that I could interview and hire right away. The support was terrible and there was no protection if that person didn't work out. So we launched this with $5,000 minimum viable product. We built the crummiest software that you could imagine that clients could log in, see the freelancer on their side. Freelancers could see the clients on their side. They could stop time, end time, and that was it. All the billing was outside of the software. If someone wanted to submit a request, they had to email me, call me, Skype me. There was no ticketing system. We we kept track of all of it in a Google Doc, and um, we, we really just launched it out there. And we quickly learned that people love the service. They love being able to email me and be, hey, I need a customer service rep. And we're like, hey, here's Bob right away. And they could just get started. And they knew that we already vetted Bob and worked with Bob. And we quickly ran out of freelancers. So we had to build a, a success team and we started recruiting people. And we created a referral program on both sides. So we said, hey, any clients um, that you refer to us, you get 50 cents for every hour that we build to them forever. Any freelancers you refer, 25 cents for every hour they bill forever. So freelancers are telling their communities, clients are telling theirs. The affiliate process was a pain because we were doing it all manually. We didn't have it in our software yet until years later. But that really took us off the ground because all of a sudden people are talking about us all around the world. I remember the first time a client called me and said, hey, I heard about you from when I was in China. It's like, I've never been to China. Someone was talking about free up at a, at a conference in China. And that was kind of the, the first thing that where I was like, wow, I, th- I think we're onto something. Yeah, so what is the, I mean, because I've used Upwork for years. I've been a freelancer on Upwork and I've hired people through Upwork. So what is the benefit? And I mean, you kind of like mentioned a couple of things, but what is really the benefit of a freelancer coming to free up? Like what is the process of them getting on free up? Who are the people that you're looking for? And then if they do get through the, you know, they do become a free up freelancer, what are the benefits to them? Just from the freelancer side? Mm Mm-hmm. So once a freelancer gets on the platform, we essentially bring clients to them quickly. It's a much bigger, fast hire platform. So you you don't need to apply against 50 people for every single job. If you submit a job, we're only sending one person unless the client says like 73, 75, a certain Mm -hmm. number. But even then, you're not competing with 100 different people for each project. It's very selective. So clients also trust the platform a lot more since they know we've already vetted them. We know that we're making sure that people added to tickets are actually good fits. So 
people get hired within hours or minutes of a request coming in and filling it and get started right away. So there's that. There's also just the, the same customer support that we have on the client side is there on the freelancer side, 24-7. If you have even the smallest need, if you need help, if you need advice, you're running your own business. If you don't want to talk to us, that's fine. But if you need any support, we're there. We want to make sure that you're taking care of it at every possible level. So you get the the fat the client good clients quickly with great support to make sure you help grow your business and lots of resources and stuff as well. You mentioned that you only take like the top like what is it one percent is that or like what is the like don't you guys have like a you're taking only like the top percent of freelancers how do you judge like what makes a freelancer that top freelancer yeah so it's top one percent so one out of every hundred applicants that that we take i think right now we get about two thousand applicants a week so one percent of those get onto the platform they're vetted on skill attitude and communication so for skill, we have a wide range on the platform. I keep saying we, but free up, who's still going to continue to, to grow and be awesome. But from five to 100 plus per hour, fixed prices too. Freelancers set their own rates. But we will look for people who are honest about what they can and cannot do, and they're priced accordingly. It doesn't matter if you're a five out of 10, seven out of 10, nine out of 10. We want honesty and integrity when it comes to skill set. We're not a platform to experiment on the client base. For attitude, we do one-on-one interviews. We want people who are passionate about what they do. They're not just in it for the money. People who are the bigger man, the bigger woman when, when tough situations come up. I think you and I both know not every client is rainbows and butterflies. You can't only be able to work with really nice, awesome clients. You have to be able to handle a, a variety of situations and be able to handle it like a professional. We want people who don't get aggressive when, when things don't go their way. I mean, this is business. Stuff happens up and down. We want people who are, who are reasonable. I mean, a good example of that is we don't let in freelancers who have a no refund for any reason policy. Like there's situations that come up and they don't happen very often, but we expect you to work with us and make it right. And we're reasonable too. Usually the client's reasonable and we, we want people who can find solutions and don't just put roadblocks in. And then lastly is communication. Communication is the key to the platform. It's the fastest way to get kicked off our platform. We don't expect anyone to be available 24 seven. That's not realistic. But responding within a business day, not making a client or, or my team chase you, um, actually hitting due dates and hitting estimates and being able to communicate the right way if an emergency comes up or something delays a project, being able to get on the same page with a scope up front so there's not all these he said, she said later that lead to mispromises and, and upset clients. So it's really that trifecta of skill, attitude, and communication. How do you test for that? Like, how do you, do you call and like talk to every single person who applies, who passed certain filters? Like, what does that look like? Cause that sounds amazing. And as somebody who's hired people, like I'd love to hire people that have all those qualities, but how do you, like, how do you test to make sure that those people actually have those qualities? So they submit an application that we review and decide if they get an interview. Then they take a skill test. Then they do a one-on-one interview with not me, but the the freelancer success team. It's via Skype uh, because that's how a lot of the the clients communicate. And then we have a communication best practices that they have to memorize and get tested on before they get on the platform. So talking about freelancers, I know there's a lot of people who listen to the show who are freelancers and are just kind of getting started or are in the process of starting to look at, at their freelancing work as more of a business. What are some of the tips that you have for those people that are freelancers who want to be successful and grow it hopefully into a business one day? Like what are some of the the things, the commonalities that you've seen with top freelancers um, that others who are listening can start using? 
Yeah, you said a good line. They, they want to look at it as a business one day. My biggest thing is start looking at it as a business from day one. If you're a freelancer, you are a business. And that means if you're a graphic designer, you are not just doing graphic design. You need to do the marketing. You need to do the lead generation. You need to have a, a, your finances in order. You need to have a, a customer service and a dispute resolution process. You need to have documentation and an actual system that you put clients th- through. If someone sent you 10 clients today, you should have the exact process that you're going to go through. You should be able to assume that maybe one or two of the clients have issues and you should know exactly how you're going to quickly resolve the issues so it doesn't damage your reputation. And it even keeps those clients come back for more because some of the best clients sometimes have issues early on. You reset expectations, you get on the same page and they might be difficult clients, but they're long-term clients because maybe they can only work with you. So really looking at yourself as a business is step one. In terms of just getting your foot in the door, offer to do some free or discounted test projects in exchange for a referral, a testimonial. Start, go out there and build a website. Even if it's the minimum viable product, like the free up software, get it out there. Spend some time on your social media, on your LinkedIn. Per, per, that You don't have to perfect it, but make it a little bit better every single day. So look at yourself as a business, not just someone who's going to be doing graphic design 10 hours a day and that's all you're doing. Yeah, I I totally agree. That's something that I've had a lot of conversations with people about. Like, what is the difference between the freelancer and like a business person? Because anybody who I know who is a successful quote unquote freelancer, I'm like, no, you're a a solopreneur. Like, you just run a business and you're the only person in that business. Like, I I just like sometimes I think there's a there's not like there's a huge overlap over people who call themselves freelancers and who are just really solopreneurs. You know? Yeah. I, I think freelancers are solopreneurs. Yeah, for sure. I want to talk a little bit about what you talked about, you know, launching free up as an MVP. And you mentioned that you guys built a really, you know, janky software. Why did you decide that that would be your first step in building a software as opposed to finding a non-tech way to test the idea? I mean, there had to be some tech in it because clients, we knew clients would want to see the the freelancers when they worked and how much they were getting billed. So the the real question was, do we use a third party or do we use our software? And I learned a lot from my Amazon business where every single time we used a third party, it did about 80% of what we wanted and we could never get it that last 20%. And so we would eventually just give up and build our own software. And when you factor in how much we paid per month for all that software, plus how much it costs for the new software, we should have just built our own software to begin with. So we had kind of already learned that lesson from the Amazon business. And we were like, listen, if we're going to grow this and we're going to want to build our brand and we're going to have want to have control over not just the pricing and the cost, but also the, the features and the, the functionality, we're going to have to build it ourselves from day one. So that was really our mentality. How did you go about doing that? Like, did you hire a freelancer to build your software? Like how, what was that like? Because you're not a tech, you don't have a tech background, right? I'm not, no. So we actually took a developer we used on, on our Amazon business, a, a contractor, and um, we, we gave him money to build this and he did a really good job. And, and then we we kept him on going forward and he actually made money on the sale down the line. We had a, an agreement with him to, to keep him motivated and keep him going. And um, yeah, he's someone that we hopefully will continue to want to want to continue to work with on other projects as well. He's a good friend. His name's Russell. Um. You mentioned that you found a lot of clients from referrals, but what were some of the other ways that you were able to find clients for your business? 
Yeah. So podcasts were huge. I think I've been on 300 plus podcasts. I, I remember the, the first, po- first podcast I went on, I was, um, <laughs> I actually thought I did a good job and then it just didn't get recorded. So that was super frustrating. And then the second podcast I went on, I actually got on entrepreneur on fire before, uh, before John was big, he was still big, but he wasn't as big as he is now. And it was, it was some person I had networked with and John had like a last minute cancellation and he needed a spot. And then I was like on my way to the gym. I was about to walk in the gym and I knew who he was and I got the call and I sprinted home and I rushed in. I did the podcast and John just destroyed me. I mean, it was my, one of my first podcasts. I had no idea what he was doing. Free up was still new. And yeah, I can't even, to this day, I've never even listened to that podcast. I know it didn't go that well. Um, but after that, I was like, all right, like we got some people that had listened to it and signed up from free up. So this is a good way because I, I've never been one to dump a lot of money into anything. I spent, I started Amazon with a few thousand dollars, same thing with free up. I was never going to go out and do- drop $20,000 into ads. And even when we sold free up, we only spent a thousand dollars a month on ads. So podcast was a great way to get in front of, of our ideal audience. Also a great way to network with, with people like you and just build relationships. A uh, great way for backlinks and SEO to help the, the free up domain presence actually grow. So there were a lot of benefits there. Other thing is we look for communities, whether it's a Facebook group, podcast, um, business coach, someone that has a a big following, and and people that that did had another business that had nothing to do with us. We work with a lot of Amazon and marketing software companies or people that sold a a marketing course. They're not competing with us, but all the people that need their course or go do their course need virtual assistance. All the people that use FreeUp could probably use that course. So Find mutually beneficial relationships to do content swaps, never in a pushy or hard way, but get people on our blog, do a guest post for them. And over time, we built a lot of strong relationships of people just naturally promoting free up. And then there were other things we added in, like my social media presence. And and one of the things I did was network with three new entrepreneurs every day. So I'd reach out to people via Instagram, via LinkedIn, via Facebook, not trying to sell them on free app, not trying to spam them, just looking to set up a networking call, seeing if I could help them in any way. So organically through the podcast, the referral program, the the partnerships and the influencers and micro influencers and the networking, that's really how we grew free up. Yeah, that was something that I was really impressed by you and, and free up was uh, I'm a part of a group called the dynamite circle. And when we were like, because you reached out to me to connect and I kind of looked you up immediately and I was really surprised by how many people had mentioned you or free up in threads in the DC and I was like and you're I don't think you're a part of that so I was like shit this is this is kind of impressive like this guy's doing something so yeah I think networking is such a like I think a lot of people talk about ads and you know SEO and this kind of stuff but just good old-fashioned networking is just such a good way to grow your business. Yeah, no, totally agree. Networking is huge. And one of the things that I just care about on both sides, but you just your reputation of taking care of people, like that's important to me, not because I really care about what people think. I feel like as an entrepreneur, you can't care about what people think, but I want people to genuinely know that I have their back at all times. Even, even after the sale, I'm telling people, listen, if I think these people are awesome, we spend a lot of time vetting them. I think they're doing, going to do a great job that I'm sure there's going to be some growing plans. I'm sure they're going to want some feedback, but if at the end of the day, they're not giving you that high level service. I want to know my name's still on the line a little bit. And it's the same thing when we own free up. I mean, it's an imperfect business, right? Because these are freelancers, even the best freelancers aren't the best fit for every single client out there. In terms of numbers, 99.9% of the time, the freelancers do an awesome job. There's 
always going to be that 0.1% no matter what I do, no matter how good our systems and our processes are, but how quickly do you just make it right and fix it? And no, no arguing with clients, no going over my new details, no losing clients over small amounts of money. Just figure it out, propose solutions, solve it both on the client side, on the freelancer side. And I think that's what built us a lot of trust because I'm, there are plenty of people that promote free up that might not have had at one point, maybe they hired three freelancers and one of them didn't work out. But that one time that it didn't work out, we just made it right quickly and solved that problem for them. So they knew going forward, we have their back if anything goes wrong. Yeah. How, so how long did you run like from the, when you started free up to when you sold it? Like how long did that take? Uh, four, four and a half years. Okay, so that's very fast. Like that is extremely quickly to scale from five thousand dollars to seven figures. Um, how did you like? How were you able to scale the business so quickly? Yeah, we actually did. So our last year was nine. This year we'll finish at twelve. So we actually hit eight figures um, by the wow. end. It really organically, like it sounds simple, but the referral program, we paid out $250,000 last year in referral money. That's a lot of 50 cents. You got the, the partners. We work with some of the top influencers in the e-commerce and the marketing space. Um, people like, like Scott Volker, people like, um, Andrew crazy. Like there's so many people that we work with that we built relationships with. And those partnerships stayed the same because we, they knew that we were going to take good care of their community, that we would actually add value. And the, the, the easiest way to lose an influencer is they start promoting people to you. And then all of a sudden complaints start flowing back to them. And we made sure that that never happened. Our, our content picked up. We have our blog, we have our YouTube channel. We had our own podcast. So eventually we started investing a lot of time and money into that and, and really just networking and connecting with different people and trying to help people however we could, even if they weren't going to use free up. If I talk to someone and they're running into an issue with a VA or a freelancer, and I, I've had a lot of experiences with, with those issues over the past 10 years, if I could offer any kind of advice or connect them with someone else in my network that had nothing to do with free up, happy to do it. So th- those genuine things where it's not all about how do I close this sale right now. And I think that's one of my, my favorite parts about free up is there was really no like selling. We weren't selling any packages. If, if I go up to someone and they don't need to hire someone, nothing I say or do is going to make them need to hire someone. But what we did do is build awareness to, hey, here's a good option to hire. Here's some value propositions over the other place. So next time someone needs to hire, they'll hopefully consider us. And next time they hear about someone hiring, they'll point them in, in free up's direction. So how exactly were you guys as a company making money? Like, were you taking a percentage off of the freelancers or the client? Like, how exactly did that work? Yeah, so free to sign up, no monthly fees, no minimums. You can stop using free up at any time. Uh, we take a percentage of the billing. So 15% with the $2 minimum per hour, 15% on fixed prices. I want to ask you very quickly about personal branding because you know i've been following you on facebook for a little bit now and you're very active and like you mentioned you know you're networking with a lot of people and you do have quite a bit of presence on social media and you do have a brand about you what is the benefit of doing that and what would you tell people who are maybe just getting started building a business that like should they go after building a personal brand while they're building their business like what are your thoughts on that you definitely should. <laughs> it's funny because I actually made a commitment just this year to post on every single channel every single day going forward and th- three times a day for every single channel, morning, afternoon, night. Now, my Facebook, my Instagram, that's me. The other stuff I scheduled using Hootsuite or using virtual assistants, but it's all my content. So every Sunday I, I would write it all up, I would disperse it to my team, and then I, I would do the ones that, that were for me. So I, I didn't go... With, <sighs> 
I didn't go into it being like, by the end of this year, I need a brand. I went into this thinking, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to post every single day and I'm going to learn from what I post. And there were plenty of posts at the beginning of the year. And even now that were duds that got no comments that added no value. And I learned from those and hopefully over time made them better and better. So it, it actually got pretty funny that like around halfway through the year, I'd be at a conference and people would be like, wow, you're, you're such a good marketer. And in my head, I'm thinking like, I've never done marketing before in my life with my Amazon business. I didn't have to market like the Amazon got all the sales for me. And before this year, we never ran ads. We had partnerships. We had referrals. I went on podcasts, borderline marketing, but it was really only this year that I started posting the content. So the key was that we had already established a presence on FreeUp. We had people that I had networked with that actually knew me, that wasn't just some random guy on their feed. Um, but then also hopefully the content was in some way valuable and, and helpful to people. And I would try to listen to that feedback and make more and more of it. So at the very least, I wouldn't go out there and be like, I need a brand. If I don't have my personal brand, my business is going to be destroyed. Instead, focus on how can I just consistently put stuff out there, kind of consistency over perfection. And whether it takes two months or two years or whatever it is, eventually, if you keep tweaking and tweaking, you're going to figure it out. You're going to get it. So you're growing this business. You're running it for four years. It's scaling. You're growing a bit of a personal brand. At what point do you think, you know what I'm going to do next? I'm going to sell this company. Like how did that, how did that come up as an idea? Yeah. I mean, it really didn't. We didn't go into this year thinking like we're going to sell free up by the end of the year. That's not what happened. So we had, we have a client, the Hoth who bought free up, who was a free up client. They used us. And I actually, so Mark actually, Mark's one of the owner. He reached out to me and, and said, Hey, like we're trying to get into the freelancer space. Um, we could build our own company from scratch. We prefer not to do that. We'd love to acquire a company that is already established. And we see that, that, freelancing is the future. And, and we'd love to see if you guys are open to a deal. And, um, they, they asked a ton of questions. We provided them that information. We said, Hey, we'll, we'll hear you out. And they eventually made an offer that we thought was, was more than fair and, and aggressive. And, um, and then, then it became decision time, but it was funny after Mark reached out about buying free up, I went back to a Skype conversation that I had had with Mark. I don't even know how long ago, a year ago. And during that time, if you look at it with 2020 eyesight, he was asking all the questions being like, like, how do, how did you guys scale it? Like, how did, like, what's free up all about? Like, it's cool that you executed this from the ground up, like showing the kind of interest. And we've had other people reach out over the years as well. We really didn't like any of them. We, we always said that we wouldn't sell it to some venture capital firm or someone that was going to destroy free up or, or not take good care of, of the clients and the freelancers. And we kind of looked at it as five different stakeholders in any type of sale. So there's Connor and I and Russell, obviously there's the internal team. We didn't want to do anything to hurt the internal team. If they were going to get a hurt in any way from the transaction, we weren't going to do it. The people buying the company, we're, we're not trying to rip anyone off or steal someone's money. We wanted to sell it to someone who could actually scale it and grow it and not drive it into the ground. You got all the clients and the partners and the people that we built relationship with, we don't want them to get hurt in the deal. We want, if, the, if, the, if we're going to sell the company from us to someone else, they have to be able to take free up to the next level. We've gotten so much feedback over the years on software features and process and improvements. And we try to implement it as fast as we can, but there's a limit to what we can do. And we want someone that has more manpower, more experience, someone who scaled the business further that can make it an even better experience for them. Same thing on the freelancer side. We have a lot of freelancers who we could not have grown free up without. They put their heart and soul in it. They've great clients are depending on it for their family. So none of those five stakeholders 
could get messed up in the deal. And, and then it became kind of thinking time and they did due diligence on us. We did as much due diligence as they did on us. We did just as much on them trying to figure out them, their, their cores, their values, their beliefs, their team, their plans. And we really loved everything that we heard. And that kind of checked the box there. We were able to take hundreds of thousands of dollars from the sale and give it to our internal team in the Philippines. So although the worst part about selling free up is not going to be able to work with them. And I've worked with some of them for eight plus years and they were, they're very emotional when we told them that long-term, we think that we've set them up very well because they're getting a, a bunch of money from the sale and their jobs are secure going forward. And, and we think the company's going to grow and that's going to lead to even more opportunities for them. Not one person on the internal team lost their job. From their side, we thought they were the perfect buyers to buy free up and grow it. And we, we want to support them and believe in them. And we're rooting for free up. We think the clients are going to be really taken care of. I've, I've been so impressed with Garrett, who I've been working with every single day and how he's interacted with the clients and the clients have had good feedback on him. So happy there. And, and the freelancers too. I mean, I made myself available to freelancers. I want to address all their questions about fees and, and whether they're going to lose their clients. And the answer is no, like the fees aren't changing and the clients aren't going anywhere and, and all this feedback like there's certain things that that the freelancers want too that we weren't able to provide them and we want to get all that feedback in a nice organized way to the new buyers so the new owners so that they can take it and grow it so we really feel like it's going to be a win-win for everyone yeah i watched the video between you and mark who's the he's the one of the founders of the hoth i believe and you guys were just talking about how important it was to you that nobody lost their jobs that everything was going to stay the same and i was part of a an Amazon business actually that I worked for an Amazon business uh, that was sold. And I, even though I always knew that was part of the plan, right? Like this is a business is going to get scaled and it's going to get sold. It still sucks when you wake up and you're told like, Hey, by the way, like we have officially put this on the market. We need to start like cutting down prices and like you likely won't have a job in like three months, you know, that's always tough. So I think it's really, really cool that you guys, you know, it sounded like that was a core pillar of this deal was that nobody in that internal team was going to lose their jobs. Uh, and I think that that's awesome. Yeah, that was a, if that wasn't the case, there was no deal. And, and we told the, the, the assistants that, and I mean, we're not going anywhere. We're not disappearing. Like I, I plan on keeping relationships with, with the internal team. I plan on making a trip to the Philippines next year and hanging out with them. One of the first things a Hoth is going to do in January is take a trip to the Philippines and meet them. Like it's almost like losing a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Like there's that kind of emotional attachment. And by far, like that's the thing that, that I've lost sleep over is just not being able to work with these people that I really love and care about. But there's the other side of it, right? You, you never know whether you're making a good deal or a bad deal. Heisa, it's 2020. If I did turn down the deal and all of a sudden I, I turned down the opportunity for all these people to make hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and, and all that, like, and it didn't work out, I'm not sure how I could live with that either. So who, no one's really going to know know what what the best possible decision was but you kind of have to take all the information that you have and, and make what you think is going to the decision that's going to benefit the most amount of people yeah i think um i think a lot of people who are listening to this podcast probably one day would like to say that they've been able to sell a business i think that that's like a goal that like a lot of entrepreneurs for whatever reason they have like that box on the checklist that they want to check it at some point i know i i certainly do so can you Take us through some of those main steps, those hoops that you guys had to jump through, like of like the process of actually selling the company. Like what were some of those really main things that you guys had to do and like was the process painful? Like what was it like? 
Yeah, I mean, the Hoff people were awesome. They like they were great throughout the process, and, and I think we, Connor and I were experiencing it for for our first time. They they bought and sold different companies before. Um, I mean, the first part of it was a lot of different phone calls and gathering information. The second part was that the making an offer and, and getting clarity on that offer and a little bit of negotiating. The next part is due diligence where both sides was sending, it seemed like every day we were just getting a new batch of questions. We were firing off a new batch of questions. We were figuring out, okay, Connor answers this one. I'll answer this one. How do we get it back to them? And Connor and I tend to move pretty quick. There's the staying focused on the business because the last thing that we wanted to do was in our mind be like, oh, we're, we're checking out, we're selling this thing and then it doesn't happen and, and all of a sudden we have no business to go back to where we've run into the ground. So really staying focused there. Um, then there, there, once we get on the, the same page with the due diligence, having final conversations about that and then getting the lawyers involved, which is a whole nother mind numbing experience that on both sides. So um, a, a, a good month of that and up until the last week, I mean, we had no idea that it was actually going to happen. We're, we're, this only happened two weeks ago. We just had Thanksgiving. I, I told Connor, I was like, you're, you're not staying here through Thanksgiving. You have Thanksgiving plans. This is like 10 days before Thanksgiving. Like, why don't you just fly to me? Like the difference between you flying to me now or you flying to me in three days if the deal's happening isn't much of a difference. Come hang out with me. We'll wait this out together. We'll work on free up. And they're located in Tampa. So if, if it does happen, we can both just drive there, meet the team, sign everything, do everything. And he flew here on a Sunday night. Monday was a super long day, just dealing with the, the lawyers and all that. And but at 9 p.m. Monday, Connor and I were actually at Gators, a bar down the street, and we were just hanging out. And finally, we got a call on like the last detail that we were going through on the lawyers, and, and we, we had an agreement. And so we, we made plans to drive down there the next day and, and sign the paperwork and tell the teams and plan the announcement and, and start the transition process. So it was kind of a whirlwind, but until that last second, we, we really didn't have any idea that it was actually going to happen. How did you feel when you did quote unquote, like sign on the dotted line? Like, were you excited? <laughs> were you sad? Like what, what, how did you feel? Oh man. The first thing I thought about after that is like, okay, now I have to tell the team. <laughs> like that was like the next big thing. And like, it wasn't until after we told the team and it was very emotional, but they, they got it. They handled it really professionally. They were super appreciative of the money that we were giving them that we were like, okay, like we can do this. Well, we got this. And then the, the rest, I mean, even now we're, we're chipping away, like transferring stuff, onboarding new people, training people. We want to prepare that, every, make sure everyone's good. And, and, and so it still hasn't a hundred percent kicked in because we're, we're still in it in, in some regards, but I mean, they're telling the internal team was the worst part by far, although they handled as well. I think Connor and I were, were just as, as emotional as they were. And once that was over, that was the real sigh of relief. And then, and then you pop the champagne and you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I don't think we ever did that, but I mean, Connor and I, like we, we put our heart and soul into free app for four years. So mm. it, it feels good that it, it has a much better ending than the Amazon business because the Amazon business, we had a lot of success from a, a money standpoint. We made a lot of money, but as a young entrepreneur, we were, we were 2021. When we got into Amazon, our mentality was we are untouchable. We are going to scale this thing. We're doubling every year. No one can touch us. Eventually we're going to take down Amazon. We're going to have our own e-commerce business. Like that's our mindset. And that's not at all what happened. We got over aggressive. We hired more people than we should have. We eventually had to lay people off, which was a much different conversation than telling people we're selling the company and, and giving them bonuses instead saying like, Hey, we're, you don't have a job anymore. Like that still haunts me. And although we, we kind of 
we kept running the Amazon business in behind. Like we got in at the peak of Amazon, then all the courses and the gurus came out. So we didn't go out of business. We were kind of just treading in water, making money, but we weren't growing or growing a brand. And and so we all, we kind of left that with a very bitter feeling that we didn't want to repeat. So this we felt like it was a much more satisfying ending, if that makes sense. Yeah, I am. Um... On that point, I spoke with Dan Andrews a couple of episodes back, and he sold him and his partner Ian. They sold a, a company, and afterwards, he kind of admitted that he felt kind of some regret. Like he felt regret over selling the company, and he felt a certain like loss of identity, almost like he was this entrepreneur who had this company who did X, and then after he sold it, he almost felt like he was like, okay, like who am I now? Is that like how do you? Have you experienced anything like that? Like, what are your thoughts on that as somebody who has just sold the company? Yeah, I, I really tried to have all these thoughts before I sold the company. <laughs> like, I, I, and that's what I heard from everyone. And, and Carlos, uh, Carlos Alvarez, who, who I who I really respect in the Amazon space, he said the same thing. He's like, yeah, every time I sold a company, it was like really happy about the money and then depression. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I, I kind of I was like, listen, Nate, if you're gonna if you're gonna do this, you you got to commit to it. You can't go into it and just regret it the rest of your life. Like you gotta you gotta be like, hey, you made the best decision on, on the time, and you got to be okay with it. So. I, I think it, it'll definitely be weird. It's gonna suck not messaging Jane and Marius and Cheeks in the morning and all of that. But I, I think that I think I'm gonna be okay. And I think that I kind of understand. I, I'm a little bit more logical than emotional when it just comes to, to being a person. And I'm super happy we were able to set these people up for hopefully future success. I, I want Free Up to be successful and. It also kind of depends what happens. I mean, if they drive it into the ground, which I don't think is going to happen, or who knows what what happens in the future. But I mean, I you have to be okay with the decision, and if you're not, you shouldn't sell your company. What are some of the things that you know? You said a lot of entrepreneurs do admit that after they sell a company, they hit some depression. And you knowing that, are there some things that you've put in place other than you know like? Kind of knowing that you have to go all in for it. like are are there certain things that you've done to make sure that you possibly don't hit that or if you do hit it you can get out of it as quickly as possible because that's something that you've thought about and is that like are you putting anything in place in case that happens um yeah good question so my business partner connor and i are are just very supportive of each other since every day since we always talk every single day so that hasn't changed that we we continuing to talk every single day we've started working on another project that uh, a course for how to use virtual assistants how we scaled it to have team leaders and assistant team leaders and a awesome 35 person team in the Philippines. So putting effort into that, I've been reading real estate books and I want to get into that. So I, I, I bet you staying busy is part of it. I, I'm definitely no expert in, in depression. And I know that's also a very serious topic that I feel like I'm not the best person to, to talk about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a combination of staying bu- busy, staying in contact with people. Like I'm going to, I'm staying on in, in a, not a, not a, um, full time, but a, an occasional consulting role with free up. So I'll be involved a little bit. I'm sure it'll be weird. Kind of, kind of like watching your kid go to college. Um, but I want to continue to talk to cheeks and Jane and Mars and stay in touch with, with these awesome people and hopefully work with Connor and Russell on, on future projects. And, there's always, there's always a way out of it. I mean, if if I realize that in a year that I'm super unhappy, I I need to start another business. I need to grow another team. I need to do something or find something else that that motivates you. And there's no, there's no perfect happiness in life. It's, it's always like ups and downs, right? 
Yeah, I think that that's really true about people who identify with the like with the title of like entrepreneur, right? It's like even those people who they build the passive income business of their dreams and they think that all they're going to do is go sit on the beach and just drink like coconut drinks. And then like I talk to those people and then like two months later, they're like, all right, I'm done with that. That kind of sucks. It wears off. Let me go do the next thing, right? And so I think staying busy and having like a business and like, you know, immediately you guys are on to the next thing, which I think is really cool. Um, Speaking of the next thing, what is that next thing? Like you mentioned that you guys are making a course. Like what is the plan for that? And who is that for? So I learned a lot in two weeks. So at the end, <laughs> at the end when I, uh, when, when we finally sold free up, I had a lot of people reaching out to me and like, Oh, we have this consulting opportunity here, business partnership here. And at the first I was like, all right, like let's take as many phone calls as I possibly can. And then about a weekend, I'm like, Nate, this is totally unrealistic. Like your parents are coming for two months. You're still transitioning free up. You, you probably want to start something with Connor at some point anyway and you want to do some real estate like how how are you doing all these things so i've started to tone that back a little bit and be like like i'm not turning it down i just i need a little bit of time like i need a little bit of a breather a few months get into the new year let's see where everything's at and then really figure out i think i was fortunate enough that connor and and um and i and this other guy nate mccallister who you might know from the amazon space we we came up with the course idea and we're, I think all three of us are, are a little gung-ho about it. So we might wake up in three weeks and decide we don't want to do it. Totally possible. But as of now, like we, we've been able to kind of get those creative juices flowing a little bit, get them on paper, work with each other. And that's been fun. And I, just reading real estate books, it's kind of like learning business all over again. I mean, selling real estate is business and I'm learning an entirely different side. So in some ways it's like, oh my God, what should I be doing? What should I be spending my time on? In other ways, it's, it's a little bit refreshing because all I've done for the past four years is free up every second of every day. Yeah. So if anybody has consulting opportunities or business opportunities for Nate, don't send them over just yet. Give him a couple of months to you know take a breather and then send them to him. You know, NathanHirsch2 at gmail.com. Feel free to send it over. Happy to look at it. And if the right opportunity comes up, just like anyone else, I'm always open to have a conversation. So over the last four years of, you know, running a remote location dependent company, what have been your like, what has been your experience doing that? Is that something that you would do again? Um, and what do you think is the future of remote work and location independence? It's it's really the only thing I'm going to do. There's going to be no situation where I'm going to go and, and have a job in an office. I opened up an office with my Amazon business. I always say that's the worst business decision I ever made. I, <laughs> I added overhead to a company that didn't need it. I created a nine to five job for myself that I had to drive to work every day. Um, office drama was terrible. I'd hated doing it. So for whatever reason, I'm much better, much happier, much more productive when, when I'm working remote. And that's the only type of business that, that I'll be running um, going forward outside of having like real estate property but even there i plan on doing it remote um but yeah i mean i think it's the way of the future i think more and more people are realizing that it's possible we live in in a pretty exciting time i mean when else could you start a company and sell a company sitting in in your pajamas or your shorts all day like that that didn't happen that long ago so um i I think people should take advantage of the opportunity i think regardless what i say it's going in that direction anyway and i'm kind of curious to see where the whole industry goes yeah, I have a friend, Ray Blakeney, who is an amazing entrepreneur. He's got several really cool companies, but he always talks about his Superman pajamas as his suit because he always works in these Superman pajamas. I'm like, where else can you do that? Like what? You know, like nobody gets to go to work and say they work in their Superman pajamas. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I think it's the future. That's why I started this show is just to talk about it. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to hear you say that as well. All right, brother. Well, 
thank you so much for stopping by. Um, I'm super happy that we got to talk. And again, congratulations on selling the company. That's really, really amazing. Um, before we jump off, anything that you'd like to say, um, you know, anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to touch on and um, where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, if anyone wants to follow my journey, check me out, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Real Nate Hirsch. You can follow me on, on Facebook, LinkedIn, just Nathan Hirsch. Feel free to connect with me. I'm always looking to connect with different entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm not sure what our course name will be or domain, but we'll, we'll definitely keep you posted on that. And um, who knows? I'm, I'm excited for the future. I mean, if you had asked me 10 years ago if I'd be selling millions of dollars of baby products on Amazon, I wouldn't have believed you. If you asked me five years ago if I'd be running a freelancer marketplace, I wouldn't have believed you. So who knows what will be going on in five years. Yeah, we'll have to do a, another episode in a year or so and then uh, check in and see what's gone on. But uh, thanks so much for stopping by, brother. I really appreciate it. And uh, seriously, all the best. Thanks, man. Have a good weekend.